We are, uh, we're at the very last sermon on this series, Book of Mark. I met some people coming in today that are here for the first time, so sorry you missed the Book of Mark, but you hit the chapter this, uh, the, the last uh, chapter this, probably the most, not the most important, but it's where the whole book's driving is, it's the resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> and the resurrection is, is the heart of Christianity. You take the resurrection out, you don't have Christianity. It dies. If you read the book of Acts, you know what the book of Acts is about? You know what their message was about over and over and over again? The resurrection. Christ is risen. All things uh, are new. And, and what that means is that for us as Christians, we're not following a set of rules or principles. We're not like Democrats or Republicans who follow conservatism or liberalism. We're, we're following a person. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And therefore, it's important for us to look at, at our passage and to understand the resurrection because it has implications not only for you that are in this room, but everyone, everybody in this world. So I want to look at our text, but before I do, now we have the bulletin printed, but if you have your Bible, you'll notice that from verse 9 and following, uh, it, it continues on, but we're going to end with verse 8. I don't have time to explain that to you exactly, but let's just say this, that verses 9 and following... Uh, people like John, uh, Charles Spurgeon preach on, and I, I think I would be willing to preach on. But that passage was not in the earlier manuscripts. And some might say, well, how does this affect the inerrancy of Scripture? Well, it doesn't affect it at all. Uh, 99% of the Scriptures, we know for, for sure that through textual uh, uh, criticism, that we have the very words of God. And uh, so we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through uh, 8. And uh, we'll see the abrupt ending probably is the way Mark wanted it. So let's... Uh, Let's look at God's Word, beginning with chapter 15. Uh, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he heard from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white, to be, uh, to white, uh, dressed in a white, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't read that because I marked over it my notes. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here, see the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Christ is risen. And he has made all things new. And so, Lord, I pray that the very Holy Spirit that he has given us through his ascension might speak to every heart that's here, might speak through me, that some today would see Christ risen and give their lives to him and that others would once again be assured through their doubts that Jesus Christ is Lord and have hope in the midst of whatever their troubles may be today and this week. So Lord, we as your people come to worship you because of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we ask these things in his name. And for his sake. Amen. Three days earlier, we studied last week that Christ uh, was crucified. That he was dead. uh, And that he was buried. But today we come, very clearly in our text, to the resurrection. That he was raised from the dead. Now, what's interesting is we're studying kind of an Easter sermon in the fall, right? Uh, If you go to some church traditions, they preach around the calendar, and you always hear about Easter in the spring, right, when Easter takes place. That's when you hear about the resurrection. And I'm not against the church calendar. We might do it sometime. But I think it's a great argument for preaching through books of the Bible, systematically going through books, so we might understand what writers were trying to say. And certainly Mark here is driving toward the ultimate work of Christ, his person, his work, his his resurrection, and all that that means. But I started thinking about this. You know, Advent season's a little bit, uh, just a few weeks away, maybe a month or so away, we hit the Advent season. And so I started thinking about how the world, uh, especially in the West, the way we look at the Advent, and the way we look at Easter. As I started thinking about this, it's interesting how the world stomachs, as it were, the Advent. Uh, Two weeks vacation, Christmas holiday, I guess they call it winter holiday now to be, I guess, politically correct. But, uh, and so you get together with family and your friends and there Jesus is, domesticated. He's in he's in, in a crib, born of a virgin, in swaddling clothes. They're in the manger. And here come the wise men, the shepherds, uh, and the angels declaring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And we give gifts and we get together with family and we, we have, have uh, holiday meals. And everybody's friendly for about two weeks. Because there's a sense that, yes, Jesus has come. And God is bringing peace in the world through the life of Christ and the example that he gives. And then, of course, after Christmas, we go right back to ourselves. 
But you know, Easter is different, isn't it? You see, men are uncomfortable with Easter because Easter deals with ultimate realities. The birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. But Easter, the whole point of it, is that Christ has conquered death. But because he has conquered death, then we don't have sweet baby Jesus here. We have Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead. This cosmic event that happened two years ago that these women gave testimony to has changed reality. It's changed the world. So we've gone from death to life. But you see, you can't be passive about that now, can you? Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if Christ is risen from the dead. That means he's raised, he's risen, and he's meeting in churches by his Holy Spirit throughout the world that are faithful to preach this gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit to convert, to change lives, and for men and women to submit themselves to Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians. Right after he says, you know what, you as Christians should have the same mind as, as that of Jesus Christ. And then he says what Jesus did. Who though being equal with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took upon himself a human nature and died uh, the death on the cross for our sins. And therefore, verse 9 says, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see, people tolerate Christmas. But here Paul is telling us that the implication of the resurrection of Christ is that everybody in here, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you believe that or don't believe that, that is certainly what the Scriptures point to. Mark puts it this way in verse 8 when he talks about the cosmic reality of the resurrection. It says in verse 8, And they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now here's the question I want to ask before I give you my points. Have you ever been astonished because you've met Christ who's raised from the dead? Uh, has there been a sense of trembling to know that you've passed from death to life because of what Christ has done on your behalf? That you were mesmerized by the gospel. Now again, I understand, you know, knowing Christ is in many ways like being married. You get married and, and then you go to the everyday stuff of being married to learn to love one another, to know one another, to encourage each other. But the realities of Christ's resurrection should be breaking through to you on a fairly regular basis the way it catches you up short. When I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about the spiritual that, that, that goes like this. You know the song, Were You There When They Nailed Him to the Tree? Were You There When They, you, they Nailed Him to, to the Tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble. Were You There When They Nailed Him to the Tree? 
It says, were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid him to the tomb? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble to know that God, in the flesh, God, in the person of Christ, is laid in the tomb. It causes me to tremble. We're not talking theory here. We're talking cosmic reality. And then, of course, that great last uh, stanza uh, that is there. It says, were you there when he rose up from the dead? Were you there? Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Sometimes I feel like shouting, glory, glory, glory. Were you there when he rose up from the dead? You see, Christ's resurrection has everything to do with everybody in this room. And there are three things I want us to see uh, from our text. And three things you have to see if you are to stand in holy awe this morning of his resurrection. And... Respond in obedience to give your life to him before you give your life to your wife or to your husband or to your money or to your job or to your church. And here's the things that I want us to see. As I study the text, these things are just, there's so much that's here, right? I mean, there's always a lot in the text. But here's the first thing I want us to look at is that Jesus truly died. He died. And then I want us to see that people were truly sad. They were disheartened. And then I want us to see that Jesus was truly raised from the dead. And he's making everything new. I think it's all here in the text. So the first thing to see is this. That Jesus truly died. Now, this is interesting. I want you to grab your bulletin here and look at this for a minute. I want you to go back here and just see how many times Mark makes the point that he died. Notice what he says in verse 43. Joseph asked for what? The body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised. Verse 44. He's already died. And then summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he, had already, he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And then verse 46, And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb. Then you go to, uh, to verse uh, 2, uh, verse 1. Uh, of the uh, next chapter. It says that the Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him because he is dead. He is in the tomb, right? Do you get the sense that Mark is trying to say that Jesus really died? Now, let me tell you what I think the significance of that is. You know, there's the old saying that there are two things that are certain in life. We know for sure one of them, right? Taxes. <laughs> and the other is, is death. But what is interesting about us is that we, even though this is an ultimate reality, we don't like to think about it, do we? People don't like to think about death. This is why they like Christmas. This is why they don't like Easter. Easter has everything to do with death. And if you don't know Christ, and if you're really not real sure about what's beyond that grave, you know what you like to do? Not think about it. 
I was talking to somebody uh, this week who uh, called me and, and said that somebody was in trouble and uh, they had gotten uh, uh, or maybe arrested a while back and, and they thought it was all over with until they got a citation. And said, oh, you need to appear to court. And then all of a sudden, this person is jerked back into the reality of a coming trial date. <laughs> I, need, I need to get a lawyer. I, I need to get a mediator here. Isn't that interesting how this is such an important topic, but we don't like to think about it. It's like the Titanic. You know, you go to the movie, the Titanic, and, and, uh, and here are all these people, the poor people way down there in the bottom, and all the rich people, everything's great, and they're on their way to New York. But you know what you know is they're on there having a great time. They're not going to make it. They're going to go to the bottom, and that's where their grave is going to be in just a few days. And so it's kind of irrational not to talk about this. We talk about taxes. Now, how can I save money on taxes? But we're not really talking about, you know, I need to think about my death. One of my favorite philosopher Christians was Blaise Pascal. He was converted in his 30s. He was a Frenchman. He was a scientist, brilliant mathematician. And he wrote a book called Pensee, which was never ultimately uh, published. It was just his notes. He wanted to bring it together before he died. But listen to what he says about this. And I want you to think about this. If you're a person who's not real sure about whether what happens when you die. Blaise Pascal said this 300 years ago. It's not natural that men are indifferent to the loss of their being and the perils of everlasting suffering. With everything else, they are quite different. They fear the most trifling things, they foresee them, they feel them. And this same man who spends so many days and nights in rage and despair over some loss is the very one who knows he is going to lose everything through death, but he feels neither anxiety nor emotion. It is a monstrous thing to see one in the same heart at once so sensitive to minor things and so strangely insensitive to the greatest. It is an incomprehensible enchantment, a supernatural sluggishness that points to a supernatural power at its cause. Very interesting, right? He, uh, Blaise Pascal saying, you know what, if you're not thinking about this, there's probably some kind of being let go in this enchantment, this kind of, as it were, pixie dust to cause you to fall into a deep sleep, not to think about what's the most important thing in your life, and that is what happens to your life after you die. It's what the Bible's about. This is what the gospel is about. It's ultimately about the resurrection. I was reading a sermon by my, one of my seminary professor's son, Robert Rayburn, and he quoted a, a woman named Marganita Lasky, who's British, uh, who was on the BBC radio, and she is a self-declared uh, secularist, humanist, but she said this, she said the important issues that people had to face in life were that we're lonely, that we are guilty, and we are going to die. Now, what is Mark trying to get across? Well, 
that Jesus had to die because you're dying. Now, here's this wonderful guy, right? He cast out demons. He had power over the, over the, over the, over the waves of the sea. He spoke with authority. He loved people. And yet he, he was truly dead, okay? Why did he die? Because he had to substitute. He had to substitute to make sure that once you get it square in your mind that the reason you die is that the wages of sin is death. That's why you die. It's, it's not car wrecks. It's, it's, it's not brain tumors. You will die because of your sin. And even those who are believers physically die. Waiting for that resurrection body. So Jesus truly died. The Westminster Confession, very clear. It's, uh, chapter 8, verse uh, in the section 4 says, He remained under the power of death. Now, that's the first thing to say. Is that he truly died. And guess what? You will truly die. It's kind of hard to get that concept, isn't it? Because I've never been dead before. This is all the law of life I know. And so what do we do? We go, well, this is what I'm familiar with. I have all these worries and anxieties about today. Why would I worry about the future? Why would I worry about that? Until, you know what? There are doctors in here. I'm sure doctors have seen people die. And all of a sudden, reality hits them when they're dying. Now, second thing to see is this. And I think it's pretty clear in our text, right? Jesus died and laid him in a tomb. People were truly sad and hopeless. I think we see that in our text. I mean, imagine for a moment how the disciples felt. Spent all these years with him. Where are they? I mean, after all, he said he's going to rise on the third day. It seemed like they'd be sitting on a rock waiting on him to come out, right? It shows, it shows what's going on here, just the... The, the, just uh, the unbelief that's there. Jesus said it in, in Mark 8. He said it in Mark chapter 10. I mean, throughout the, the, the Gospels, once he started revealing who he was, he said, listen, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. None of them are there. But I tell you what, I guarantee you they were. They were depressed. Now, maybe you're depressed today. Maybe you have this great sense of hopelessness. Maybe you kind of really do believe in the resurrection, but kind of really don't believe in the resurrection. Because, see, if he's raised from the dead, then that has everything to do with what you're feeling right now, whether you feel great or feel terrible. Whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on in your situation. But let me tell you what. If Christ was not risen, have you ever thought about that? Can you imagine what this world would be like if there were no... Even for the pagans to look over at Christians and go, well, at least they got some kind of hope there. But you say there is no Jesus ever existed. You ever thought about that? Think about your life without no hope, without any hope of the resurrection. Well, we certainly see that going on in our text. Where do we see that going on in our text? Well, there's Joseph of Arimathea. You say, well, how do you see that in the text? Notice what it says in verse 43. It says, Joseph, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. This is it. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to bring hope, right? How many of y'all don't need hope here today? Does anybody need hope in this room? 
Hope in your financial situation, hope in your marriage, hope in your physical condition. You know, you get to be my age, it's, it's really weird. You're just kind of like trying to maintain the old car. I mean, I don't get stronger. And I try to think about that without Jesus. I'm just dying. He takes courage. You know, I think he was inspired by Christ. I mean, it's what it says. He goes to Pilate and says, hey, let me, uh, can I have his body? That took a lot of guts, by the way, to do that. But you know, after all the inspiration, he's still dead. No hope. You know, you can understand. Christ is not risen from the dead. Christianity is not real. It doesn't exist. It's just moralism like everything else. And yet many of you are moralistic about Christianity. You even say you believe in the resurrection. But you never live in the hope of the resurrection. And so you're always depressed. You're always discouraged. I, listen, some people are melancholic. I get that. I understand. I'm not saying if you're depressed or you're a terrible person. You don't hear me saying that, do you? But, but somehow you've got to hook up what's going on in your life to the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. I, why do I get in the pulpit every Sunday? Because I'm a great guy. Why do I get in the pulpit every Sunday? Oh, yeah, I know I can convince these people out here. You know, I get up every Sunday because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And maybe sometimes I'll nail the sermon. By God's grace. And sometimes I whiff at it. At least y'all walk out and get in the car and say, man, that was a terrible sermon today. But there's hope for you too, okay? <laughs> As we'll see here in a minute. Oh, and then, of course, there's, there are the women. I mean, Joseph does what he does because he respected Christ. These women are coming to the tomb because they love Christ. But he's dead. Imagine what it would be like. And uh, I mean, think about, well, you know, uh, we're going to have to anoint him. He's pretty beat up, and they loved him. They weren't anointing him. Right. So they lived all day Saturday, no hope. They're on the way to the tomb. And now notice how quickly they come back to the, what's going on in the world, the, the ways of the world. Notice what it says when they come to the tomb, because they don't believe the resurrection. It says... And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who's going to roll this stone away? There he is in the tomb, and he's dead, and here we are out here, but we don't have the resources to move that stone. But he wasn't in there, was he? Who wasn't in there? But they're worried about it, right? So they're back to everyday stuff. You, you know what I'm saying? That, that you, you lose sight of the resurrection of life. You know what you're worried about? How am I going to pay for the tuition for the kid? And man, I didn't mean to get pregnant. And how am I going to pay for this? And, uh, you know, my parents got a divorce. I, I don't know what it is. But, but you, you've got to see everything that's happening in your life in light of the resurrection of Christ. And either believe it, submit to it, or just... Go, I, you know what? I'm not going to be lukewarm anymore. I'm going to go that way and continue to live as though Christ is not risen from the dead because it's a terrible thing to kind of live like he's raised from the dead. Right? 
Well, I'll kind of be nice. I kind of won't cheat. I kind of won't. But on the other hand, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. You see, Christ's resurrection says he wants all of you. You know, it's, uh, you know you've heard me often mention the, uh, the four questions that every, every worldview has to ask, answer, and you've got to answer it. Buddhists, communists, seculars, liberal theologians, conservatives, I don't care who you are. And that is origin, meaning morality, and destiny. And so here they are thinking about Jesus answering all those questions. About, for instance, origin. Where do we come from? John 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am ontological forever. The ontological question. And now he's dead. I am, is, he says, I am, and now he's dead. The meaning. You know, what do we do? Why should we or should we not do the things we do? John chapter 8. He, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hey, you'll be free. The truth says you, you're free to love people, free to serve. But you know what? He's not free. He's dead. I'm just trying to rehearse what they're thinking. What he said. And uh, then a morality. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. But if he's not raised from the dead, they might be thinking, well, he loved his enemies and his enemies killed him. I'm not doing that. You see what I'm saying? You know, let me tell you why some of you don't love your enemies. is because you don't know the power of the resurrection. You're mad at your husband, you're mad at your wife, and you stay mad. Man, sheesh. I mean, I get mad at Mary Beth, and I don't know why she gets mad at me. But you know what? Now, let me tell you what my wife and I understand. You know, honey, I'm sorry. I was harsh with you today. Or she says, honey, I'm sorry. I have not been reasonable. Whatever it may be. But you know what? Mary Beth, Christ is risen. So can I help your marriage? But now if he's dead, just go get married to somebody else. Doesn't matter. And then, of course, destiny. John 11. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now he's dead. So, yeah, they're sad about it. In fact, Paul says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. You know how a lot of you college students live, that I think come to church every Sunday, go to RUF, you live like the devil. You're in a drunken stupor, literally, sometimes. I read a post uh, the other day, somebody, uh, some guy was street preaching, and some gal, not a redeemer, but from another church here, uh, was basically drunk and said, you know what, you're, you're ruining the gospel. And started and punched the guy. I mean, seriously. And, and so, we don't have to be. I mean, listen, if he's not raised, there's a lot of reason to be discouraged. But I have to close on the, my last point. Jesus has truly died, truly died. People truly are truly uh, uh, sad and hopeless. And then finally, Jesus was truly raised from the dead. And he's making all things new. Where do we see that? Does our text teach that? Um, notice what it says in verse 5. And in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He's risen. Now, look. 
there might be skeptics that are here. Or maybe, maybe somebody brought you today and you don't believe any of this stuff. You go, ah, that's just an old story that was made up. I wish you would be intellectually honest and not intellectually lazy. To look at all the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. Tom does not let me give you the 13 or 14 things I wrote down. But let me tell you what's pretty amazing is that there were a lot of messiahs back at that time and a lot of them got killed and you don't know of any of them. This messiah, this Jesus, was killed. And yet it changed the history of the world. It changed the world within 200 years. It turned Rome upside down. Matter of fact, the Roman Empire finally succumbed to Christianity. Why? Because this messiah wasn't dead. He's risen. You know, it's interesting, all three of these women, they keep naming them in the text. You know what they say? It says, number one, they saw him crucified. They were there, not the disciples. Number two, guess who saw him put in the tomb? They were there. And guess when they came to the tomb, knowing exactly where he was, they were there, three eyewitnesses. And I can tell you, in historical accounts, at the time, the, the ancient writers, that was significant. But what even makes it more amazing is it's not men giving testimony. I mean, if, if you want to build a legend, you let the disciples be there, sitting on the rock, waiting on him to come out. Right? Oh, yes, we, we remembered. We're sitting here waiting on him. We're ready to serve you now. No, they're a bunch of cowards. They leave. And here are the women. And by the way, I hate to say this to you ladies, but back then, women were seen as uh, hysterical. And their, their testimony was not to be trusted. Sexism, okay, can we say that? No, not, not, not the gospel. So here are the women giving testimony. And uh, matter of fact, there was a historian, a pagan historian, writing against Christianity a hundred years later. He said, this is why you shouldn't believe this, because their testimony was by women. That proves the reality of this text. And let me say this. The, here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Let me t- here's the bottom line. There is no body. Not nobody, but... <laughs> There is not a body of Jesus. Anybody ever? It's gone. Nobody ever found it. Everybody had reason to produce that body. And you know why they couldn't produce it? It's because what this angel said is true. Christ is risen. 500 people saw it. He was raised from the dead. Now, where's the gospel here? And I have to clue. Well, here's the, where's the gospel. I just said it. Okay, I'm sorry, John. But notice, notice what the angel says. Tell the disciples, and who else is it single out there? Peter. Now, who betrayed him? Who's the person who goes, man, what was your deal? And Jesus doesn't say, now you tell Peter, that sorry dog, after he has six quiet times and says so many Hail Marys, then he can come talk to me. He says, tell them to to meet me in Galilee. Where's the gospel? Look, it's not your good works that raised Jesus from the dead. It's not your sin that raised him from the dead. It is the grace of God that raised him from the dead. And because he's raised from the dead, we have absolutely every sign that Jesus Christ is risen. Your sins are forgiven. Now let me ask you this. If that's true, which it is, does that give you hope about your situation this morning? 
I guarantee you 80% of the people in this room are up against it, including some of you junior high kids been picked on. Some of you senior high kids that don't know what, you, you know, you don't know if you believe this anymore. Hardly anybody believes. Hardly any teenagers believe the gospel anymore. Your marriage, your money. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Now, have you repented of your sin and looked to Christ? And that's all you got to do. By faith, look to him. And he'll make you new. Because you know why? He's making all things new. Jesus is risen from the dead. You must be born again. You must look to Christ. Submit your life to him. Give up on your good works and quit sinning against him. Quit doing the commissions. And submit to the love of your soul this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come now to the Lord's Supper, and we thank you that we have a visible sign of your love for us. I pray for any who are here who have never been born again, that you would uh, cause them to see Christ, to know the power of the resurrection, so that they can say with Paul, with certainty, that the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, would you convert people today? Would you bring people to Christ? And Father, for us whose hearts grow so cold, we hear it, we hear, but we've never responding. Lord, teach us what it means to get on the practice field and just start practicing this stuff. To get out there and to learn to love. To give. To care for. And then we'll see the power of the resurrection. And not till then uh, will we know the power in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Those helping with communion would come forward.